All right, welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur. Catch him on a poster in your local uh, London subway station. Anyway, it's Benny Horowitz. What's up, dude? Hi, Danny. It would be called The Tube. The Tube, yeah. And uh, it would be in the tube station, which the is always station. funny when I see these pictures. Yeah. You want to know the funniest one for me? It was the- back in the day, we did one tour and little sponsorship thing with Levi's, but only in Europe, mm. uh, in Europe and the UK. And we did this like really like fancy schmance photo shoot, like out in the middle of nowhere. Whole like thing was set up. It was it was pretty funny, honestly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was a certain part of tour. Maybe I just come from Germany and uh, had been hitting the rolls and cheese a little hard. Or maybe it was like a whiskey tour and I had some extra, you know, muffin top going on. But, you know, I had to wear these like little jeans and tight black shirts. And, uh, you know, they had to Photoshop me. Oh, no. And, we get like the prints back for this, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, "Damn, I look fucking jacked. Look at me." <laughs> oh like, wow! So it was I'm a like, positive. I'm experience. like, look at this guy. He's, he looks good. Wow. I'm like, oh man. I'm like, no one asked, no one said anything. I'm not gonna say shit, but I definitely got Photoshop. <laughs> and then those were like up in like tube stations, and I'm like, man, there are like people somewhere who think I have like a sexy bod. And they got no idea that that was really like a part of tour where I was like stuffed with rolls and cheese. It's funny that it worked out for you that way because I, you know, um, during the pandemic, during like lockdown, I I, I saw photos of myself from my brother's (laughs) wedding and this was post college. And you know, mm-hmm. Wisconsin was just was just off of that whirlwind of an oh, experience. Curd where, country, man. Where it's meat and cheese and all of everything nice. And, and and let me just say, I saw a couple of those photos and I was like, I don't remember having this belly. But oh, now it's gone. Hilarious. It's gone. Yeah, I have a I have a similar uh, it's just coming to mind. It's our podcast. I don't give a shit. I have a similar one with my sister's wedding. My issue was it was the first time in like my adult life that I clean shaved for something. Mm. And I was like, oh, sweet. Like we uh, I'm going to like look like sharp for my sister's wedding and stuff. And honestly, because of like every like like every picture basically is just this like crew of people that sort of look like belong together. And then on the end, like a lesbian that's nine inches taller than everybody else. That's what all my sisters and like I go to her house and that picture's up. I'm like, can we? Yeah, can we get another one? Maybe this is a bad. I shouldn't have shaved my. I think at the time I had that like early 2000s uh, chin strap. Oh, yeah. You know, I was chin strapping at that time. Mm. But it would have been better than what you see in these pictures. Did uh, did did Michael Vick inspire the chin strap? For you be honest. He did that for a lot of white guys. No, oh. I you know, I, I loved <laughs> Late era Shaquille O'Neal. Oh, there we go. That was like, I loved his look towards the end. Well, you know what segment looks great every single week, Benny? <laughs> What's that? It's this day in music history. Do, 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 do. Well, I got two, and one of them is a segue for you, okay? Okay. I, I put one in my pocket just for you. <laughs> but in on, on this day in 1992, then Arkansas Governor Bill Clinton campaigning for U.S. president, 
makes a whistle stop at the Arsenio Hall show where he famously blasts Heartbreak Hotel by Elvis Presley on his saxophone to a cheering youthful audience. Now, Denny, I'm imagining you don't remember this happening, right? No, this is pre me. I mean, yeah, like I was alive, you. but like not. Yeah. And it's one of those weird, you know, like cultural flashpoints that the, like, like at the time it was important and it like kind of solidified the fact that Bill Clinton was, you know, he had already sort of cornered that uh, centrist middle-class white person vote because he was Bubba from Arkansas and he was able to kind of like grab enough of those people to make the democratic base strong, but he hadn't really won over like young people in the left because of that kind of, he was sort of ran as a bit of a centrist and him uh, showing up and blasting heartbreak hotel. And not only that on Arsenio, and then sitting down to do the interview and he was kind of like a cool cucumber during the interview. He was talking about, uh, you know, race relations in a really positive way, like shortly after the L.A. riots, I think like a week or two after the L.A. riots. So it was this random, like kind of pivotal, big mark in time in American history where something shifted in those like couple weeks. And this was a big part of that shift. See, that's so interesting that you brought that up because it's like, do you think that if a politician, you know, were going into like the upcoming election cycle, if you can believe we're going into it again? Yeah. Do you think if any politician goes on late night now, it has any sort of impact like that? It. You know what? I was thinking about that when I brought this up and uh, I imagine it as a tougher sell. I got to say, but I can imagine he probably turned some people off doing this, you know? Yeah. So after like maybe staring at people like Joe Biden and Trump for the last, you know, uh, what, six years now, maybe more with campaigning, yeah. like if someone came out and they actually spoke eloquently to me and then all of a sudden sat down and fucking like ripped something sweet on the piano or something, I'd probably be pretty stoked, wouldn't you? I can just imagine that there's always like wannabe politicians out there that are like, I'm oh, so yeah. power hungry, but I'm just going to take these piano lessons because Bill Clinton back in the day when Yo, I was... Definitely. <laughs> A good politician should have uh, some musical prowess in their pocket for you know, dinner parties, schmoozing, yeah. TV opportunities. I think maybe this is like a lost combination on politicians that they haven't thought about enough. Like, you know, they, they incorporate all sorts of stuff to gain influence and power. Why don't they incorporate a little more of the arts? Wouldn't you like to see like, uh, Ted Cruz maybe do like, um, you know, a small local production of Oklahoma or something. Oh my gosh. <laughs> It'd play. It would play. <laughs> oh man. Benny, but it's so funny that you brought up politics into all of this because I got one that's slightly political. Um, oh. It's getting you know tough when we do these things because there's some days that have a whole bunch of hits, but there's some days that we've done before. So like this is the thin day, sauce, thin sauce. Th sometimes this is when the Doors went on Ed Sullivan, and you know they were going to change the word to light my fire and then didn't. Um, famously portrayed by Val Kilmer in the movie. So I couldn't go with that one because we've done that one already. But yeah, what we can yeah. do, and it lines up with a current storyline as well, 
On this day in 2002, Paul McCartney, Sting, Elton John, Brian Wilson, Ozzy Osbourne, um, and a whole bunch of others appeared at the Queen's Jubilee concert. I believe that was the Diamond Jubilee concert at Buckingham Palace. Um, and I bring this up because, so in 2002, that was the Diamond. In 2022, we have her Platinum concert. And do you want me to run down a list of some of the names that are performing at the Platinum concert? Yeah, give me the hits. We get Diana hits. Ross. We get Queen mm. and Adam Lambert. So two out of the three, we got Americans here. Um, fitting. We got Duran Duran, Sir Rod Stewart. I didn't even know that he was a sir oh, over there. Okay. Um, New York's own Alicia Keys, which I'd love to see how she's British. Um, and then we have uh, Hans Zimmer, which performing a bunch of stuff straight off of uh, the uh, Top Gun Maverick soundtrack. Um, so yeah, but the whole thing gets kicked off by Queen and Brian May uh, performing God Save the Queen. Also, and I'm not done with this list. I don't know how he gets in here. But Lin-Manuel Miranda, Platinum oh. Jubilee. I mean, come on. At this point, he's he's written hit after hit after hit. That guy is like, if you're starting to get into like the 16 and under demographic, that might be the biggest pop star in the world. Actually. Like, it's crazy. Can I tell you what's what was the craziest thing about like lockdown culture and like and getting into TikTok? These Gen Zers love to make fun of Lin-Manuel Miranda. Oh, is that right? They love, yeah, 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 yeah. He's like, he's but it, like, is it is it like is it friendly poking or real hatred? See, with them, it's it's so hard to tell. It's super yeah. hard to tell because it's like the like they grew up on on this humor that's like super satirical. So like Pretty you can't dark. tell if it's ironic or if it's like actual hatred. These kids are so. dark, huh? <laughs> are we gonna wind up in the next generation of like Tolstoys? Like, are we? <laughs> I think so. The next hundred years of America is gonna be the dark literature. <laughs> it's our time to produce it. But Denny, I know you love a segue. Can I, I give do? you one? Oh, please do. On this day in 2019, Forbes declares Jay-Z a billionaire. Oh, boy. Making him the first Too rapper to hit that mark. $300 million of his fortune comes from the stake in uh, Brignac Champagne. Huh. I don't even know this stuff. Must be big somewhere. I hear stuff like that, and I always think, like, if Jay-Z got 1% of, like, some company and he made $300 million, yeah. man, there are some disgustingly, terribly rich people out there. I know. It's like like the Koch brothers who like literally own those like metal box companies and they're like billionaires because they make like one alloy. It's like it, it's crazy how that works. Yeah. We are going to talk about a billionaire in a little bit. Okay, okay. Um but that's soon, that's soon. Um do you I want... didn't realize I went off the dock. <laughs> oh, that, that's okay. That's okay. It's like if if we were doing this for real like we'd have like our like Tony Kornheiser, Will Bond, like list down down the side, <laughs> but we don't hear. We could go there if you want. Now we could yeah, go there. Okay, that's all right. That's all right. All right. Well, Benny, you know you're putting out music coming out pretty soon. Um, and one New Jersey native fighting back against her record label, New Jersey native Halsey claims that her record label, Capital Music Group, won't release her mu new music until she creates a fake viral moment. So essentially. <laughs> With all of the stuff going on on, on on TikTok, how artists come out with a a song, and then there needs to be a hook in there that's about uh, that gets people dancing and, and whatever. Uh, the 27 year old has given their label a viral moment by calling them out instead. So it's like they wanted the viral moment, and her viral moment was calling out them, which is like we talked about meta dark humor before. That's yeah, about as much yeah. as that as it gets. There's another faction that's saying all of this is 
BS. All all of this is bullshit that Halsey's in on the whole thing. So mm. what a time for musical promotion. It's not just handing out your flower and be like, hey, will you come see my band and listen to my record? There's like some like like double-crossing mental manipulation going he- out here in musical promotion. So just thoughts on all of it. Well, I mean, it's getting like you used to have to remember what you used to have to do to stage rumor. <laughs> you know, it was hard. Yeah. You had to plant seeds all over the place. Now you just got to do like one TikTok. But I actually, I mean, when I first heard this story, the idea that the label would ask for that and, uh, you know, that made such perfect sense to me that this didn't feel like a conspiracy because for someone like her who's connected to the pop world, some kind of like sensationalistic video on TikTok to like break some kind of news to do this shit's really important for whatever reason. And, and uh, these days you're, you know, you used to be based on this billboard, like top 10 first week sales and stuff like this. Well, now, you know, you have cumulative numbers from like all these streaming sites and TikTok, and people are looking at data and metadata along with, you know, just like straight album sales and stuff. So I, I guess like I found the story so believable because of course that's something I'm sure the label wants. And there's like a team of social media people there who, who, who wants something like that. Um, where I, I start to wonder like behind the curtains a little, like why she resisted so much um, and why they kind of doubled down that they still wanted it makes me think that maybe she was like contractually obligated in some regard to like do some kind of extra social media push prior to the record. Um, and you know, and then like, you know, found out and was like, Oh, what the fuck did I sign or something like that? Like it could have been a situation like that where you find out, wow, like that's part of some bullshit deal. Like they snuck that in there somehow. Um, there's a lot of things at play here, but the thing that, it made me think was uh, this is kind of like akin to maybe like what happened in sports with uh, player empowerment. You know, you now you saw it a little bit with uh, Taylor Swift kind of leading like the Taylor Swift army against these companies. And even though she maybe didn't exactly win the money game, she certainly won the public perception game. And back in the day, you know, the people on top would have trickled certain types of information down to make her look bad and they can no longer do it because she controls the narrative. Um, and athletes have realized that. And I think you're seeing another case of that where someone is like, you know, whether she was obligated to do it or not, um, she has this power now and she's the one with her hand on the button right to her fans. Um, and even though, uh, you know, contract or not, same as the Taylor Swift thing, like, like she'll win the battle of public perception because who gives a fuck about our record label? Yeah. You know what I mean? Who's going to choose a record label over this like awesome pop star? And it's the same in sports when it comes down to it. Who's going to choose like, oh, something, something management group over LeBron James <laughs> or something like it just doesn't work that way. And I think they're really uh, realizing their power. So I kind of really dig that aspect of it, you know? It's amazing to kind of see that. I hope it's not like the double cross situation, like I, I was saying. 
Um, I hope it was just legitimately somebody that wanted to put out their music and their label went, went let her, so she went yeah. to, to the fans. But I just got to say, while on the topic of Halsey, maybe my favorite, she, she has a burner. She has a basketball-only oh, yeah? burner, Halsey and one. If you're listening to this pod, you, you love hoops, you love music, great follow. Maybe not number one on Twitter because that's our <laughs> snare campaign provocateur, but definitely number two. Okay, okay. I got Maybe I got to dig in a little <laughs> further. I got to... You know, I haven't broken. I don't think my iPhone five could download TikTok. It would just like explode. <laughs> I've been, man. We've been trying to get her when, when like the Lakers are, are like winning. We've been trying to get her, and she won't even do serious for us. So this is wow. Like, yeah, all right. So all right. long, long shot of her coming on the tune-up, but we'll see. <laughs> hey, if you're listening to this episode, <laughs> this I'd like to personally welcome you. <laughs> all right, Benny. Next headline today. Yeah. Let's get to the hardwood, a Jace. Hardwood <laughs> music, a Jace, all right? Like Jalen Brown, who, you know, he, he may have a couple things going on this week that we'll mm-hmm. get to in a little bit. Jalen Brown is the newest addition to Kanye West's Donda Sports. Jalen has become the first NBA player to sign with Ye, uh, this per TMZ. So not Shams breaking the news, not Woj breaking the news, TMZ right. breaking the news. He's following the steps of uh, Super Bowl winner Aaron Donald, uh, who is the first to sign with Donda Sports, calling it a no-brainer. Um, so Kanye West getting into the agent business, seeing um, a guy like LeBron have all of the success with Clutch Sports, seeing him do pretty well managing artists too, breaking into the sports sphere. Uh, Benny, what do you make of Kanye, the manager, the agent? All right. So first, I want to I want to take this in two parts. Please do. I'm going to make the first positive. Okay. Okay. Because I find the these signings they're interesting in a way where like. Jalen Brown's an outspoken athlete. He was uh, front and center and maybe almost like the face of the NBA during the George Floyd protests. And uh, he's a young guy and a smart guy. And I think he's got a, a long career with a lot of different types of things in him. Aaron Donald has been sitting here all offseason, flexing his weight, being like, I got a ring. I'm worth like this many millions of dollars already. And I'm like a happy guy. I love hearing shit like that too, by the way, from young athletes, like the anti Tom Brady, you know, (laughs) the guy who sits home for like a week and a half and hates his life so much without football (laughs) that he just has to come back. And there's Aaron Donald who's like mid twenties. He's like, yo, like my shit is golden. I can do whatever I want. And I love people like that. And he's got the right attitude. So already with the first two signings, I see kind of like a lean, to the clients where you know maybe for whatever reason this becomes a safer place for kind of like the counterculture in sports or the places where you're allowed to have a loud voice being that your owner has one of the loudest and you know most unorthodox voices in the game so that's my first positive part the second part of it is like i hope to god Kanye West is not part of the day-to-day operations of these athletes and the types of things they want. Uh, If he is, like, it's going to fucking fall apart and something terrible is going to happen because he has personal gripes and all these problems and drama, like, you know, dating back years with how many, like, hundreds of people at this point. And um, 
if he's actually like in there with his hands on the central focus of the thing, I kind of believe the uh, the Onion article, which says Donda Sports runs sets modest goal of only ruining a few athletes' careers. Um, <laughs> so I think that's in play too. I mean, uh, but you're seeing the overwhelming power of music again, Denny. Like Kanye West has made really, really important albums. And he made important albums when people like Aaron Donald and Jalen Brown were teenagers. Like, like their first love into music could have potentially been Kanye West. And that holds a lot of fucking equity, you know? Um, so, you know, this, this could be a successful thing. I just think uh, if you want to guarantee its success, maybe you, um, you know, take Kanye's try to get Kanye's hands off the actual steering wheel and just just have him more behind it you know all right so if we take Kanye out of this right because that's a whole other separate wild card that we know nothing about if you're starting an agency and your first signing is Aaron Donald who is a guy who may retire so where where is the where is the room for growth if this guy is 31 years old just won a ring and is like I'm gonna call it quits that's strike number one. Strike number two is there is a rumor, and I don't, I, I, I'm pretty sure that this is true, that Antonio Brown has a board seat on this thing. So when, <laughs> when LeBron went into being a manager, you know, uh, Leon Rose, like, groomed uh, uh, Rich Paul. Rich, Rich Paul. Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Um, there you go. So Leon Rose groomed Rich Paul into be, at, at CAA, into being... Uh, his own agent and eventually they started it from there so there was like baby steps to this to running a fully functioning well-oiled organization if 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 you're gonna have antonio brown who couldn't even like be reliable in his primary career you're gonna have him in a like making decisions for your business that seems like a, a tough situation and then my third thing and this is just basketball related the, the internet has been mocking Jalen Brown in the latter part of these playoffs that the dude can't dribble the basketball and has dribbled <laughs> out of bed. So these are the three athletes that you're trying to start this thing with. I don't know, man. This seems very, like you got to go with somebody a little bit more stable to try to get this business off the ground. You know, I'm kind of, you know, we, we got into this and I had, you know, certain things to think about, but like, yeah, I didn't realize how, you know, this this company was really, really predicated on, on Kanye West music. I mean, it's really mostly what they do. Like, even on their Wikipedia, it says, you know, film projects. And there was something in 2012. And then a debuted a short film about Steve McQueen in 2015. And like, you know, but everything is his his art or production work for the most part. And like, you know, um, dating back, it's it's kind of almost been like a defunct sort of thing since like 15. So, you know, since his last album, basically, and it's kind of it is strange. And, um, you know, these guys are taking a risk. But, uh, you know, there's one thing that that we're not even mentioning in this. Right. Yeah. Is like what kind of fucking sweetheart offer did these guys get mm. to go do this? Like, had to be, equity. Um, you know, yeah, there had to be something either. uh very very large like upfront signing bonus or um you know a substantially smaller share in the manager percentage or something like that but 
um, you know, something had to come to these guys up front or something was promised that made them go there because, you know, they have people working for them, too, that aren't going to let them make just simply like financially devastating decisions <laughs> either, you know? What I hope that this is for him, and it, it's a lot of where Rock Nation is finding success right now, it's a lot of where Clutch is finding success right now, is in the NIL department, a thing we've talked a bunch about on here. If he's going to help uh, college students get, get the proper payment that they deserve, because who knows grassroots movements better than Kanye West? I mean, you, you look at the entire start of his career, he knows it. So I think that there's a real chance for good things to happen from there. No pun intended, but I think with the people that he's got in place, there's a, there's a, definitely a lot of questions. Next signing, Jimbo Fisher. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Benny. A headline next up that I'm begrudgingly here for. Uh, LeBron James has hit yet another milestone, this time doing something that Brown no, other, win. no other NBA player has ever done. Guys, LeBron James is officially a billionaire. This according to Forbes. Um, this, another monster year of earnings for LeBron. LeBron made $121 million last year. That's crazy. This, while he's still playing hoops, a 37-year-old uh, has a net worth of a billion dollars. This according to Forbes. James is the first active NBA player to make the list. And I, I, I think only the second NBA player ever to do so uh jordan being the first but that was way after jordan was done playing um and he had the equity in the hornets at that point so benny what do you make of this and what does this say about where athletes are in on the pecking order in 2022 well let, let's first let's step back let's give okay. lebron his due and his credit right yeah got it the 37 year old guy who who didn't come from some you know business pedigree where you were handed the you know the keys to investments like i got i can't imagine the kinds of shit rich kids are given when they turn 18 to go invest and to go start there here's a quarter million dollars and uh here's the number to my guy at jp you know like there's all this there's all these reasons that wealth you know, trickles down from, you know, person to person within a family. So uh, you got to give somebody credit, especially the fact that he's made, I mean, not merely, but 385 million of this from playing sports, which is what he's actively known for. And, you know, being turning that essentially like, you know, his first contract with the Cleveland Cavaliers, turning that into a billion dollars. It's impressive. Yeah. And I like it. Uh, and I'm happy to see it happen. And um, do I think uh, I, I can't say that this is going to be the like, you know, next step for all athletes and stuff, because LeBron James is such a unique character, you know, like and he's been so good and so smart from the get go that like, I don't know if I can just say, oh, from now on, we're going to have, uh, you know, people that are worth a billion dollars like all the time because he's such a unique player who actually you know can average close to 30 points a game while he's 37 years old um i think the one thing it absolutely solidifies is the fact that my my rumors from a few months ago i hope some point denny you can hire a production team to go 
fish out my amazing hot takes, particularly on LeBron, that always come true. <laughs> but I said a long time ago on this program that LeBron is angling for ownership now. Mm. He's not waiting for like, oh, I'm going to retire. I'm going to settle down. I'm going to find the right thing. There is going to be something for LeBron like before he's out of the league. And I don't know exactly what it is, but, you know, this deal he has with the Fenway Sports Group, you know, he ex- he essentially exchanged a uh, his his minority ownership of Liverpool for one percent stake in the Fenway Sports Group. Yeah, that group owns Liverpool, Fenway Park, the Boston Red Sox, Roush Racing and just bought the Pittsburgh Penguins. A whole LeBron is cashing in 1% a year on that monster just alone gives you the types of like channels that he can next time a team is on the table he's going to be around to to maybe do it and he's going to be in this unique position to almost be not not a not a player coach which we've seen before but a player owner or a player part owner and uh who knows maybe it comes with like um, the new expansion that 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 people are are saying uh, might happen. Um, you know, what if a new team comes along in a couple of years and LeBron James and and Bronny plays a great year in college or something, <laughs> and all of a sudden, like, here I am. I'm 40 years old. I'm a part owner. I still play. We just drafted my son. It's like the perfect LeBron James story, and it could actually happen. On text, I was like, oh, yeah, he did this during a pandemic, did this during inflation, big whoop. No, but you got, I mean, like, you got to, like, you got to r- respect it. He's learned. Stand on your podium, Denny. No, be I'm not going to stand on the soapbox <laughs> because I cannot be on here being like, oh, it's brilliant that how Oprah now owns part of Warner Brothers. I can't say that one week and then come out here another week and be like, uh, LeBron didn't earn this or whatever. No, it, it it's impressive how he continues to leverage up and, and up and, and up. Yeah, I mean, like, you probably will see this, him being an, an owner sooner rather than later. I just wish that he made better movies. <laughs> I mean, listen, if, if you want to be in the billionaire class, you got to compete with Bezos. You know, he's a billionaire. We, we all know this. Uh he wants to make movies. He goes out and buys MGM. What are you going to do, Bron? You can't just rely on Daffy Duck and uh, Bugs Bunny. Come on. But I, I think LeBron is officially out of the movie business. Didn't he sell? He, he sold his stake in the in Spring Hill. Oh, he did? Um, yeah, yeah. So I think he's out in oh, that. I don't okay. know if he's just going to start his own for Space Jam 3. <laughs> I got to be honest. Denny, I took in about 15 minutes of Space Jam, maybe a month I or two I watched the whole thing. I'm not going to give LeBron being like, oh, you're so great or this and that. Here's what I'm going to say about it. Yeah. I was too old for Space Jam when I was like 12. Yeah. I'm definitely too old for Space Jam now. And I don't know what the fuck was happening on the screen. But I did get the sense that a child might enjoy it. Yeah. And, you know, in the spirit of Jar Jar Binks, I'm I'm not here to be the adult man. Uh, ragging on things developed for children. No, and he's just part of the culture. Listen, I get it. Everybody wants to capture their own IP. If you're Warner Brothers, you want everything that you've ever done to, like, be able to sell like t-shirts and and stuff like that but you know we're we're getting this is a great day for lebron this is like a really historic day for i think athletes everywhere 
and and forget just athletes. I, I think that this is like a really important day for like African American wealth and people that truly doing it their own way and black business. Making money is, for a lot of people is hard. So the so the and the fact that he's done it in such a good way and he's helped people. There's a lot of billionaires that do not help people as much as LeBron James does. So you got to give him all the credit in the world. Listen, there's going to be days to knock him, especially over the rest of his playing career as the Lakers have nowhere to go. But today's not one of those days to knock LeBron James. Yeah, and not to mention, <laughs> who gets to grow up and be like, yeah, like, I made a billion and I made my whole crew like yeah, $100 million That's each, really cool. Which he did too, you know? Like, like, every step of it is cool and I appreciate it. And as someone who's certainly not a billionaire, but Soon. considers myself new tour. money, and I have found the uh, entrance into the world daunting and mean and exclusive and i can see how hard it is to crack so when when someone like lebron james who i think has a good soul and good intentions you know however flawed and in whatever ways uh that that's somebody i like to see making a billion dollars it's fun for me this is that it's a fucking you want to talk about the American dream? Like, that's what it is to yeah. me. You know, like you can talk about, you know, Gilead or, you know, getting getting this country back to uh, Christian fundamentalism. But I'd prefer letting uh, kids from anywhere in America grow up and do whatever the fuck they want and become billionaires. Like, that sounds pretty awesome to me. All right, to the hardwood we go. And Benny, the NBA finals are underway on Thursday the Boston Celtics took game one against the Golden State Warriors, 120-108, in a game that was interesting, had its ups and downs, but it was highlighted by a typical Golden State third quarter, where you saw Steph making the shots, and you're like, oh, wow, this is this is the Warriors of old, holding serve at home third quarter, but then yeah. something miraculous happened about uh, with three minutes left, in the third quarter, we started to see that Boston defense that we've talked so much on this podcast about um, just a, a complete presence, getting those little ticky tack strips on, on pivotal possessions. And what was a 12 point lead, 15 point lead at one point started to come down, come down, come down. And then, you know, you had some help from Al Horford, Derek White hitting these big shots, tie game. And the next thing you know, they take the lead on what I believe was a Peyton Pritchard three. So Golden State could not see their way back after Boston took the lead. They take game one. A, a relatively inexperienced NBA Finals team goes into an area that was a fortress at one point in NBA history and yeah, comes away with a 120-108 win in game one and takes a 1-0 series lead. So Benny, initial thoughts on Boston and their, and their big game one NBA Finals win. I mean, it's huge going into the uh, going into the bay and taking game one. And as you said, going into quarter three here, you know the um, the part of your brain that just starts recalling the past started to kick in, and you're like, "Here go the Warriors. I've seen this before. I've seen this go all the way to the championship many times." But then I was quickly reminded of the reason I chose Boston prior to this series starting, which was. I just watched this team. The re let's let's say this: the reason I had to go with Boston when I was making this pick was what I saw in the first three series in the East, and that was 
adaptation is a team that was just always willing to change and always found a way. I had to watch more Boston Celtics than I wanted to. <laughs> you know what I mean? I watched them sweep the nets, make Kevin Durant look like a like a human, which he normally doesn't. You know, I'm a Giannis sycophant, so I had to watch every game of that Bucks series. You know, they, they just kept uh, crunching and crunching and crunching great players. And then you watch the Warriors' path in the West, and there was, there was far less resistance. This Boston team coming in is coming in just more physical and more chippy. And I don't think the Warriors have seen a team in the playoffs quite like this yet. So uh, to say a game one knockout punch, uh, which happened in the fourth quarter of this game, is is telling for the whole series, I'm not willing to say. But I do think the Warriors got uh, you know, knocked back in their seat a little. I don't think... I mean, they might have known it was coming, but, you know, actually getting punched in the teeth a little bit uh, changes that a lot more. Yeah, so through the first three quarters here, um, the Golden State Warriors had 11 offensive rebounds, right? Pretty good, pretty good if you want to win an NBA Finals game. Limited to just one in the fourth quarter. Um, yeah. So the interior presence where, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about uh draymond how how he's like oh he doesn't put up the points but he definitely provides uh some interior support some defensive support in that fourth quarter it was almost like uh the al horford's uh the robert williams uh channeled their own version of draymond green and kind of took well, it they to the warriors they, they weren't even covering draymond green yeah. in the fourth quarter yeah by, by the time the fourth quarter came around Yudoka had abandoned the, the defense altogether. Draymond, you want to shoot from the corner? Be yeah, our that, guest. that, they, that they was were, ill-advised, yeah. You know, and if you're going to, you know, compromise the spacing of Steph Curry, like, uh, you know, those sets when they had Iguodala and and Draymond out there at the same time, like, they cannot do that. And they're going to have to make uh, adjustments for that as this as this series goes on. But as you mentioned, I mean, is, is Al Horford the uh the name of the game the player of the game i mean he might be and i kind of love this al horford revitalization i i was a fan dating back to him winning championships in florida Mm. you know i like those old hawks teams he was on with uh josh smith that made some great playoff runs you know and then he he kind of got buried in his old age but he's uh you know the thing that he changed that a player like draymond uh, has actually regressed in his career is sometime in the middle of his career, Al Horford became a functional three-point shooter. He became a seven-footer that 35% of the time will hit that shot, and at the very least, you have to go out there and respect them. And with how crafty he's gotten on defense, um, you know, this is one of the most useful uh, two-way bigs around, double-double machines. So I think you got to give Horford a lot of credit in this game. And I think the Warriors, as you said, uh, are going to have to throw a lot more size around maybe in game two and and practice with those lineups because them crashing the offensive rebounds, which are always available to them, uh, might might be the name of the game for, for game two. Yeah, and for some reason in this game, uh, Steve Kerr played Jonathan Kaminga for a whopping total of 48 seconds. So in, in yeah. essence, that reads, oh, he thinks that he's he's unplayable in this series. Um, so some of, of the size and everything, 
which is going to be interesting with the NBA draft coming up because there's a lot of great wings that like maybe didn't get the shine that they did in the G League in college that a lot of these teams are going to be looking to add. Uh, and I, I think w- with the way that this team is constructed, and you got to give a lot of credit to Brad Stevens here, making the trade for Horford, bringing him back into the fold, the Derek White trade as well. I mean, let's talk about Derek White I mean, last ooh. night. He went into... Uh, Steph's home and went mano a mano for Steph uh, in, in terms of threes and driving the lane and, and pretty much playing that role and he came out with the W. Uh, but we, we we would be remiss if we didn't mention uh, Steph Curry going for 34 in the loss. Uh, great effort, seven threes. But man, you know, we, we, we've we been talking also about Clay Thompson and, and his role with this team. 15 points last night on uh, three of seven shooting from three. You need more volume from Clay, and you need him to make more. Well, I think the biggest part with Clay right now, too, is the fact that, you know, uh, back in the day, you could really reliably count on Clay Thompson as not only someone who can go splash, you know, 20 points in, in 15 seconds like he used to, you know, that crazy shit. But he was always guarding the best uh, scorer on the other team. Yeah. That was his job. And Clay Thompson is a very functional defensive player. And, you know, he's still coming back from injury. It's like one of those things where these people don't they don't just turn around in a second. And and the speed of the game is insane. And he's a half step behind on defense. And like so I don't think Kaminga has to be unplayable this series. I mean, I don't know if they they just know exactly how to attack him or something, but um I'm not worried about Clay Thompson on the other side. Like, you know, there's going to be a game in this series where you're like, Jesus Christ, this guy can't miss, you know? But I think it's that reliability on the defensive end, especially when, you know, is it just me or can Jalen Brown get to the basket anytime he fucking wants? Yeah. You know, and, and that's something like I keep thinking about more and more with the, you know, with team creation, right? Like we can bring bring this conversation there. I'm not, you know, right in Boston in as the Kings here, but they just won game one on the road in the finals and this team is succeeding, right? Yeah. And one of the reasons they're succeeding is the fact that they two drafted players who they had pressure for years and years and years to break up and can't work and it brings this in and they just, you know, kept cashing in on the fact that this was a pair that they could rely on built around it. You know, Marcus smart. You keep him in Horford. You only lost for a year. So, I mean, he's been there for the last five years, you know, Pritchard's a drafted player. Like you have all this Williams, a drafted player, both Williams. So you have this consistency on this team. And one of the recipes that everybody's looking for. And one of the reasons maybe the Clippers may be unbeatable next year Everybody wants two wing players yeah. like this. Two guys who can defend out there, shoot out there, get to the basket anytime you want. When that versatility is on the floor and you have all this size and speed and smarts around you, I mean, anything is possible. And uh, I know I have game one in, in my eyes right now, but I do imagine uh, I, I'm, you know, sticking to my sticking to my bet here. I thought I thought Boston was going to win it. I'd like to say, too, I saw an ESPN poll. All the experts. Yeah. And I think it was only like three of 20 chose Boston for this series. Mm. So, again, Denny, if and when the Nostradamus nature of my predictions uh, 
<laughs> comes comes to fruition again, you got to edit me and put me out there in the universe. Oh, know? and I do that all the time. But here, here's the thing about <laughs> NBA Finals that are different than the the other series. Yeah, this can turn fast, right? It's yeah. like especially yeah, all of a sudden, it's it's the fucking sixteen Warriors. Yeah, this game I know. because yeah. I, like I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. Uh, and 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 defensively, this isn't gonna slide, you know, th- because we were talking about even going in, into this series, be like, oh, like uh, the Golden State Warriors, they just run a bunch of actions and and hope for the best. Well, they're gonna have to do a little bit more than that this series, and I think last night proved that because on a a a day when y- yes, Steph was going. Um, but you need, like, I think they need to get back to running a bit more of an, an offense. And maybe they haven't been able to install it yet with, with the young guys th- that they have working it, it in. But you've had, had a whole season. I mean, at this point, like, we're not considering guys that are rookies rookies anymore. Like, they've played over 80 games of basketball. Like, you can, like, implement it. So uh, the the excuse for not running... Uh, like like the sets like you used to and just running a bunch of actions and seeing what sticks that that's lazy coaching and and that's that that's not Steve Kerr. I mean, does he have the firepower right now though? Because was it just me, or you know, it wasn't just that Boston was out playing Golden State in the fourth quarter. I thought Boston looked a lot fresher than Golden yeah. State in the fourth quarter. Like you know, Steph was going nuts. Steph was was doing a shimmy all over the court the first quarter. He looked like, you know, unstoppable Steph. And, you know, three quarters of of Marcus Smart barking up your ass, you know, like all of a sudden it's a little tougher to get into those sets. So that's where I'm curious in game two, if this is a just a game plan thing. I'm, you know, Kerr and the staff is obviously great and, you know, is going to come in with some different looks here. So I'm curious how it goes. But, uh you know, as far as like, you know, the bodies and the the stamina and the type of things Boston's been doing through this playoffs, they just have the edge in that department, you know? Yeah, and, and you don't want to have to rely on getting 20 from Andrew Wiggins for four <laughs> games to win this series. But the right. other thing... All-star. It, All-star yeah, starter, right. That's right. Andrew Wiggins. That's right. If you can't rely on all-star starter for 20 points a game in the playoffs why was he starting in the all-star game because he got the fan vote and that's Uh, that's another conversation but uh looking ahead the rest of this series um and we got to talk about jason tatum last night three for 17 12 points made up for it with 13 assists and five rebounds but Horford has been bailing out Jason Tatum this entire postseason when he has a off shooting night. I mean, in, yeah. in the games that have mattered, Al Horford stepped up when Jason Tatum has, has been, been been quiet. So uh, you wonder how many more times that's going to happen. How many more of these magical nights Al Horford can pull out? Maybe he's just in his bag right now and can get this the whole series. But they need they need twenty tw- almost twenty five from Jason Tatum if they're going to win the NBA yeah. Finals. And I think I think there's a good chance you're going to see it. I mean, it, it's he did he did look a little shaky, you know. It did look a little yippy, you know. At first, there was a couple pull up threes and stuff like that that I've been seeing him, you know, take and nail all playoffs that he he seemed to be, you know, dishing off and cutting on those plays uh, more often. So I, I think it was a little bit of nerves and you know the ball's not dropping, but 13 assists like the entire yeah. game. It's not like if Jason Tatum's having a cold shooting night, you can just back off on Jason Tatum. Yeah. 
And uh, he really managed to affect the game the entire the entire time he was out there at the same time. So that's some superstar shit when you have an awful, like a literally awful shooting night. I mean, some of those were proper clunkers, um, but really still impact the game. And you can kind of count on a guy like that to uh, to, you know, not, not show up like that again in game two. So rest of the series, what are you looking at? I mean, like you said, I I do expect to bounce back here. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, like we're looking at the dubs. I I do trust like the triumvirate of players plus Kerr, you know, to figure something out going into this. Uh, I think, you know, th- you know, maybe they got a little too much swagger after that fourth quarter th- or after the third quarter and thought they were going to roll through the fourth and kind of needed this wake up call. So I, I do think we still got a series on our hand. I don't think Boston figured something out that's just going to lock this down. And, uh, yeah, I expect a bounce back from the Warriors in game two. He's been talking a lot of smack. Draymond Green has to be there in, in the fourth quarter. He can't he better be, hit a three. Right. He better hit a three this year. <laughs> you can't get this Colin Coward money, this TNT money, <laughs> talking all of this smack, going back and forth with KD for some yeah, reason, and then just show up and have a, a clunker. He's, a, he's an all-time defensive player, but, man, he, he, he gets a pass sometimes. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, I think I heard someone bring up this point today i'm not sure who but i think the big question asked sometimes with jamron green is what was he all these years if he wasn't on a team with steph curry Hmm. yeah and you know he's the perfect fit and and obviously things worked out but you know when he has to uh expose himself and take over a game like just can't do it it's not his game you know yeah so I'm still rocking with the Warriors in six. I think that this is going to turn. Because, six? Yeah. yeah. It's going to turn fast, huh? Well, because he, he here's the thing. For as, as great of games as Boston has had this postseason, they've had some clunkers. Yeah. They've had sure. some games where they've started super slow, especially on, on their home court. So if Golden State gets one at home, which I'm 100% guarantee that yeah. they're going to get game two, they go to Boston. It's it's an entirely different series. So yeah, Warriors and, in six. You know, I I I I think you're right. Not not your <laughs> Warriors in six prediction. I I'm still in my Boston prediction, but uh, I I believe that about fifty percent of the shots in this game are three point shots by yeah. both teams, and that leaves such a higher variability for success than uh than it would in previous times so uh that 21 of 41 you know going to 14 of 41 can happen really easily and totally swing a game yeah playing with getting contact with the show you can email us at the tune podcast at gmail.com two p's in there uh if you want to follow us on all the social platforms it is the tune up hq on twitter instagram and tiktok subscribe to the youtube channel rate and review on any of your podcasting platforms that'd be greatly appreciated uh if you want to follow the big man he is at benny horowitz one number one in your mind number one in your heart number one on twitter i'm at denny underscore gallagher Ben, you got anything else yeah melt melt all the ar-15s the show has ended just melt them go in peace you've been listening to the tune-up <laughs>